back in a familiar setting. We're no longer live streaming from people's living rooms, which I think is a, uh, is, is a significant step forward. It'll be lovely to have us all back in the, in the auditorium here together, worshipping and, and, uh, and, and just being together real soon. But we'll, we'll look forward to that. What we're doing today is we are getting back to the church series, uh, the church series that we kind of press pause on uh, for the lockdown time. And so we're, we're getting back into that series and uh, we're going to talk about what it is to be a, a church together. And one thing I want to do just as we just before we jump into that is uh, we've been talking about the church being a family together. And there's something we just need to mention because we are a family. Uh, many of you will, will know that over the, uh, over the last couple of days, we've had uh, some really sad news. Yesterday, we got the, the news of, uh, of Ernie passing away. And uh, so a, a wonderful saint who has been with us in the chapel here for, for just many, many years uh, and who is well-known and, and well-loved. And so our, our thoughts and prayers are with you, Grace, and uh, with the rest of your family. And I, and I hope and pray that you are feeling the love of the church family during this, yeah, during this really uh, tough time. And, uh, and when we all get back together again, uh, it'll be really nice to be able to come back and, and have a memorial service for Ernie. I know there's going to be something small and private over this uh, little time in the next few days, uh, but it'll be nice to celebrate Ernie's life when we get back together again. But we are here, we are as a, a church together. And this series, what we're, what we're wanting to do is just is take a, a broad view of the, of the church and just start to uh, continue to learn about what the church is. And then as we talked about earlier, just uh, where appropriate, take small little steps uh, towards becoming more of a church that, that God intended us to be. And perhaps if you'd allow me uh, to just perhaps tell a small story, because we've been a month or so, maybe, maybe close to two, two months out of this church series. So it's just uh, maybe a small story to help us get back into the idea of the church series. Last week, uh, Lyndon made an interesting comment, comment as he was walking through uh, Ephesians chapter 3, and he hit verse 10, and he mentioned that, that the, this, the manifold wisdom of God uh, reflected in the church was something that was a testimony to the angels, which is an interesting thought. The angels looking down at this idea of the church. And I think he's, I think he's absolutely right. In fact, 1 Peter 1 verse 12 actually makes it more, and more explicit that the idea of the, the, the marvelous nature of the gospel the angels, uh, the angels long to look into that, the mystery of it. It's, it's, uh, it's something that they, they want to figure out. They, they uh, want to see what's going on. It's like it hasn't been revealed to them. And can I tell you just a little story perhaps, uh, and, and something, I guess, as I think about that idea, I think about the idea of the angels wanting to look into this story of redemption and trying to figure it out as history's gone along. This is how I put it together in, in my mind, and, uh, and I'm sure I have been influenced by others' thoughts uh, about this. It's probably not, probably not an original, uh, original story, but this is how it rolls in my mind. Of course, angels have been with God since the dawn of creation. They were, they were created. They are created beings. And, and so they have been with God since the, since the very beginning. They watched God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And they, they looked and they probably thought, hey, this is pretty amazing. And then they were probably pretty disappointed. I, I mean, this is just my guess. I'm imagining they were pretty disappointed when Adam and Eve uh, fell, when they sinned. And, they, they, and the angels must have thought, wow, they've really messed up this plan, this great plan of God's. And they watched humanity walk through what we call the Old Testament uh, and God's 
people, God just slowly gathering a people together uh, through Abraham and then obviously through the nation of Israel. And the angels perhaps got excited. He, they, they realized that God was going to do something. He was going to save these creatures that, that, were, uh, that are now dying. They are now uh, succumbed to death. They, God must have, had, must have a plan. He, they knew he had a plan. They were trying to figure out, so what is it? How is it? How, are, how is God going to redeem these people? Because they were looking at these people and they were, they were dying along the way. You know, they were, as everyone does, they were dying. And, and they must have been wondering, what, how is God going to save these people? He's got, a, he's got a group of people here, but some of them are dead and some of them are still alive. How is he going to save these people? And then it's interesting when we, when we read the, the birth narrative of Jesus, there's a little, little sneak peek that we get of the, of the angels. I, I wonder if they were looking at back at all the Old Testament and thinking, God's got a plan. We don't really know what it is, but God's got a plan. And then they see Jesus being born and they realize, my goodness, God's come down here himself to, to save these people. This is incredible. And we see in the birth narrative, uh, of Jesus' birth narrative, the angels actually break into the, into the sky above and start just singing. And they scare the living daylights out of some shepherds there because they are just singing. They're singing powerfully. They can't hold themselves back because they realize that, that Jesus has come, that God has come as a man to save his people. And so I wonder if the angels then, uh, then they must start to get excited because they, they're, they're looking at Jesus grow into a boy and then into a man and then start his earthly ministry. And they're, they're realizing, okay, he's, he's getting ready for something. He's doing something. He is about to save his people. And, the, and they see Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and everyone is proclaiming him as the king. And they think, this is it. Here it is. And then uh, days go by, a few more days go by, and then something interesting happens. Jesus is... Uh, betrayed and then Jesus is tried by the Romans and then Jesus is beaten and flogged and then Jesus is uh, taken out with a cross on his back to be to be strung up on a wooden tree and the angels must be thinking this is this is unusual we, we know God's got a plan but what's going on here and I imagine them just sort of sitting in heaven looking at that those last few hours playing out I imagine them just sitting there thinking, this is, our, this is our king whom we've worshipped since the beginning of time. And, and these, these creatures here are, are about to string him up. They're stringing him up on, the, on a cross and they're actually nailing him to the cross. I wonder, if, I wonder if the angels looked across at God the Father and kind of thought, you, you know what's happening here. You've got it all. You've got it, you're perfect. You know what's going on. But, but God, Jesus chose to be fully human, what they're, what they're going to do to him here, that it's, it's going to kill him. And I imagine them just sort of thinking, what, what, what's the plan here? What is God doing? I, I, I sometimes imagine the angels sitting there and one of them grabbing a spear and another one grabbing a helmet and then, and then hundreds following them thinking, yeah, we've got to, get, we've got to be ready to go here. He's, he's going to call us into action. We've got to, and they all grab their weapons and they are ready to go and they are ready to get down there and, 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 and essentially come to the aid of their king. And they're standing there waiting for Jesus to say the word, waiting for Jesus to call down the angels from heaven. And Jesus doesn't say anything. And they, and they look across at God the Father and they're waiting. Surely God is going to, surely the Father is going to tell us to get into gear and get down there. We know from 2 Kings chapter 19 that one angel was able to lay waste to 185,000 fighting men. 
And I imagine a, a thousands of angels just standing there, ready to go at a command. And the command doesn't come. And they watch this. They watch this man, God himself, whom they've worshipped for thousands of years, be beaten and then killed on a cross. And they look across at God the Father, and God the Father does something he's never done before. He turns his face away. And the angels think, what on earth is going on? We, we, could, have, we could have saved him. We could have stopped all this happening. What have you done? I wonder if they looked across at the other side of the realm or whatever that means and they saw the devil kind of sniggering over in the corner there and they just, what are this going on? And for three days they wondered and then something amazing happened. Jesus came back to life and they thought, hey, Jesus came back to life. Jesus, he's... He's beaten death. This changes everything. This is incredible because, because Jesus has beaten death, that means that death no longer has a sting. That means that there's a pathway for all those Old Testament people that have died already. We couldn't figure out what, how, they, how they were going to be saved. That There's a pathway back. And then Jesus spends a bit more time with his, with his uh, disciples on earth and then he goes back to heaven and then Jesus sends his spirit down to earth and the angels are like, Oh my goodness, God himself, he didn't, they didn't just come down to earth to, to live here. God himself has come down to actually indwell his people. This is how he's redeeming his people. God himself is living in his people and he's going to take his people because of Christ's righteousness within them. He's going to take his people to be with him in heaven forever. And the angels are like, this is amazing. This is incredible. How is, it, how, is he going to, how is he going to do this next little bit? And he sees the, and the angels, they, they see the disciples get together and they see the disciples start to implement the church. And they, and they realize, my goodness, this is incredible. God could have done it in, in any, any other kind of uh, sphere or any other method, but he has chosen an incredible method that actually uses God himself in the very creatures he has created and he is organizing them into churches and this church takes the message of the gospel like wildfire out through the whole of the world and we have 2,000 years of history of the church doing exactly that now and the angels are just absolutely amazed at God's incredible plan they were wondering there for a while but they realized God has got it right God has done this and he's done this perfectly and he's got an incredible plan. The church has stumbled and has kind of uh, done a couple of things wrong or a number of things wrong over the years, but the, the message of the gospel continues to go forth and it has done for 2,000 years. And the angels just, just worship God because of it, because of this incredible plan that he has. Why do I tell that story? Well, I think I, the, the reason that I tell that story is that God has got this plan of the church right. God has got it right. He got it, had it right, right from the beginning. He had the plan right. He had it correct right from the beginning. We might, we might be tempted to try and implement new forms of organizing or leading the church. We might be tempted to, to look at the world and try and mirror what they are doing and try and bring that into the church. But God's got a master plan for the church. It's his. He got it right straight out of the gate. It needs no modifications. So we are doing this church series. 
We want to hear what God says. Today, we are looking at the idea of eldership and leadership in the church. And I suspect that if you were looking perhaps at, the, uh, at what was coming up uh, in, in, the, in the church series uh, uh, over the week, you might have seen the title there in terms of leadership in the church or eldership in the church. And may, maybe some of you weren't exactly dying to hear about what eldership is in the church. Later on in the series, we're going to be talking things about gender roles in the church. We're going to be talking about things like the spiritual gifts and maybe some of the more uh, controversial uh, spiritual gifts in the church. Maybe you're keen to hear about that because those are a bit more salacious, right? Um, But an an eldership maybe just isn't quite that uh, controversial and salacious. However, it's important for us to realize that God has got this, this plan right. God has got... Uh, his ideas of the church and church leadership right. And so today there is a dual kind of track. There's a dual intention about what we're going to talk about. We've we've got one audience here uh, collectively out there and uh, virtually, but two perspectives. One, we are going to look at eldership and we are going to look at the topic of eldership and what the Bible has to say about it and and try and just, just learn from that. But secondly, what I want to do is talk about maturity in Christ. I want to talk about the idea that, that oftentimes we can be comfortable as Christians. And we can be, we can be just, uh, just living life and just tr- uh, trotting through this life and, and feel like we are comfortable as Christians, which is the exact opposite of what it means to be transformed, what it means to be a disciple, to what it means to, be, to, to grow in Christ. So what we want to do is we want to have a look at eldership, but it's going to also propel us towards Christ-likeness. So let's have a quick look, well, let's have a look and, and read through the passage. This is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, feel free to t- uh, turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the first seven verses there, and I'm reading from the ESV. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For 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 if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Let's pray before we just really unpack this passage. Father, we thank you for this time that we have this morning, and we pray that uh, as we look at the topic of eldership, that it wouldn't just be an academic exercise. This wouldn't just be teaching us about what it is to be an elder or what you expect uh, from an elder, although I pray that we m- might learn that. But I pray that it might dig into our own hearts, that it might just, just propel us out of, a, out of a place of comfortable Christianity and that we might be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we might become more Christ-like, that we might just uh, be sanctified by this passage that we talk about this morning. So I pray for your blessing on it. pray that you'd guard my mouth from error so that I wouldn't lead anyone astray. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At one stage, uh, as I grow in this, uh, this I guess, art of, uh, of preaching, I'm going to have to stop doing 10 to 15 minute intros because there's a big clock right in front of me and I realize that, I'm, uh, that I've uh, burned a fair bit of time there. But anyway, we'll carry on. So the first thing that we want to have a really good look at is the fact that uh, eldership is Christ-like. 
eldership is Christ-like and the fact that and, and the and the respect that eldership reflects Christ, reflects the uh, the character of Christ. It's good to have an eldership. It's the way God te- intended it. That's why we have an eldership here at the Bible Chapel. This eldership is not perfect. They are not perfect men, but they are godly men, and they desire to honor God in the role that He's put them in. And uh, and I want us to, if you if you're looking back at the verses that we've just read, there's a list there. Notice that list. We talked about it, things like being above reproach, self-controlled, respectable, etc., etc. Notice how they are all character things. They are all character qualities. They are all talking about being Christ-like. That's what, that's what an elder is to be like, is be to, to be Christ-like. Notice that that, that list there, when I, first, when I first studied this list many years ago, it, it, it alarmed me that there's no skills involved here. Eldership, the, our eldership is not called to have a particular skill set, maybe with the example of being able to teach. Even, and even the managing of the household, that, that's still honing in on the caring, on the shepherding, on the, the, the reflecting the character of a shepherd. Not being a skillful moneymaker, not being a skillful planner, but a shepherd of their family so that they can shepherd the church. So, some, first th- some things to note about this list. Firstly, in the verse 1, it's a positive thing. It is a noble task. It is what's often called a high calling. Uh, some have said throughout church history that there is no higher calling here on this earth. Uh, that's a big statement, but, but uh, what, it, uh, what, what we, we can see from this is it is a noble task and that it is a high calling. Not everyone's called to eldership, but this list here is about character traits. It's not an exhaustive list, but one commentator said it is a, this list pictures a person of mature Christian character. It, it pictures a person of mature Christian character. So here's some application for us right here, right now, for all of us. This list here in 1 Timothy 3 is for all of us. It's for you, whether you're an elder or whether you're not, whether you're aspiring to be an elder or whether you're not, whether you're male or whether you're female, whether you're old or whether you're not young, whether eldership might be on the cards for you at some point in the future or not. This is a fantastic list of character qualities for us to aspire to. Maybe some of you, uh, in, when you're at school or maybe when you're growing up in your, in your house, uh, your, your, your guidance counselor at school or maybe it was your parents, they said, hey, you know what? Because of who you are, and because of what we see in you, you probably, I think you could go and do this as a career or this as a life path. And sometimes someone had to dream that dream a little bit for you and tell you what might be possible. And I think this list does a little bit of that for us. This list is for you. God has put this in front of you. And, and, it's, and he's, uh, in the passage here, it's specifically talking about eldership. But what, what this passage is actually doing is, is giving us a picture of a godly man or a godly woman. There's a couple of things that you might have to, uh, that you might have to uh, in, inverse in terms of gender for it to, to naturally fit for women. But this is, a, uh, this is a list that God has put in Scripture for all of us. So we should all be looking to develop the character qualities that reflect this list or this all uh, that reflects Christ's character just flowing out of this list all right so that's the the first thing eldership is Christ-like and so we are all to to be like our elders in that respect and and aspiring to be Christ-like the second major thing that we understand from from this passage here is that eldership is held to a high standard I think this is one of the most 
one of the, the greatest uh, forms of, of wisdom that we see God implementing into the church and that, the, that there is an incredibly high standard for eldership. Notice first up in, uh, in verse 2, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. The, uh, the idea of an elder, and by the way, when you see, elder, uh, when you see overseer, elder, shepherd, bishop even, although we don't use that word a whole lot uh, because, um, because other uh, traditions have used bishop uh, in, in different ways, but overseer, elder, shepherd, bishop, pastor, they all mean the same thing. They're all interchangeable within the New Testament. But the overseer there must be above reproach. And in fact, that idea of above reproach actually governs the rest of the list. This is how the person of God can be above reproach. Above reproach there doesn't mean that, that that person's going to be perfect. If uh, if if above reproach meant that the person was going to be perfect, then there would be no elders and and there'll be no no elders in any church around the land, right? There is uh, there's no one that can be completely 100% perfect. But but perhaps we might translate that to be of, of blameless reputation. And if you have a look at verse seven, there's a similar kind of idea there, well thought of by outsiders. But leadership is visible, eldership is visible, and we should be holding our uh, eldership to a high standard because the Bible holds eldership to a high standard. We should be looking to our elders as men whom we look at and see, I want to be like that person. Not necessarily follow their career path or follow the way they, uh, way they dress or the way uh, or, or their, their mannerisms or the like, but, but we should see them in terms of their character and, and, and we should be saying, I want to be like that person. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 uh, verse 1, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I think that's a great line for our elders. Our elders should be able to, to humbly, obviously, say to, to anyone, look here, yeah, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There'll be some areas in my life where I'm not imitating Christ, and so don't imitate me in those areas. But I am going to try and imitate Christ as best as I humanly can by the power of God's Spirit within me. And so imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think one of the saddest parts of church history is we repeatedly find that eldership has, a, has had a low bar of entry. It's something that has been easy to get into. Sometimes it has been an old boys club uh, where if you know the right people, you can get into, into eldership. Sometimes it has been that worldly leadership qualities have, uh, have been the major, uh, major drive to get into the, uh, into the eldership of a church. You know, uh, if, they're, if they're good at making a business run, then we'll put them in eldership because they can make a, a church run just the same. None of those kind of things have any benefit to you as a believer to imitate. And we definitely don't want that sort of leadership on our eldership. We want to have our eldership being held to a high standard because we are, because uh, all of us as Christians should be looking towards our eldership and, to, and we, should be, uh, should they, we should see them as people whom we can follow in their character footsteps and we should, so we should be holding them into a high standard so that we can, uh, as, as a group and as a, as a flock, as a family together, be growing in maturity and growing in Christ-likeness as we, as we follow along, as we follow Christ but also see these Christ-like individuals here on earth for us to imitate. So some, some comments as we, as we just quickly cast our eyes down the list here. You'll see there's a number of things from starting in verse 2 and going all the way down to, all the way essentially down to verse 7. There's a number of things kind of almost bullet pointed there. So I'm just going to roll through those really, really quickly. And I think they're going to all come up as a big list on the, uh, on the slides there.
So firstly, husband of one wife. Literally, the text says that if you, if you go back to the Greek, it says a one woman man. Um, and so there's, this is probably the, the most notorious to try and, uh, try and um, figure out exactly what is, is meant there in terms of a husband of one wife. But someone essentially, uh, someone that's not flirtatious, someone that's not per- promiscuous, doesn't have any questionable relationships with women, has eyes for just one woman, and does not move from wife to wife, but has eyes for just one woman. So can I just encourage you right here, right now, husbands, can you keep your eyes on your wife? Can you keep the, the desires of your eyes on your wife? Wives, can you keep the desires of your eyes on your husband? There is so much out there in a, in a social media and internet age. There is so much out there that, that it wants to draw our eyes away to other things or other people. Can I encourage you to be a husband of one wife or a wife of one husband? and that you keep your eyes focused on your spouse. Keep your eye, the desires of your eyes on your spouse. A, a, a note there, there is, uh, there's kind of no way of getting around the, the language, the gender language that's in this passage. It does, uh, uh, that it does uh, make us land on the fact that this, uh, this, the elder here is male. Um, now, we're going to talk about that in a few weeks to come. Uh, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to delay that just a little bit until we're all back into this, in the same room here together, talk about a couple more of the controversial things uh, as we look at the topic of the church, but we'll just leave it there for the moment. So the, so the elder is a husband of one wife. You'll see in the next few points there, they're sober-minded, they're self-controlled, they're respectable. Those, those three things kind of blend into, into one another. Uh, but, to, but essentially to be temperate, to be free from all excesses, to be balanced, uh, maybe to be not, not a meddler or, or, or lazy. And, and maybe just a little side point there, as we look to our elders to be like that and we, as we look to, to imitate them, can I suggest at the moment when social media is just going arife, it's just, it's, just, it's just burning with, uh, with stories here, there, and everywhere about the coronavirus, without, about things surrounding COVID-19, and we're going to talk a little bit more about those a little bit later on uh, after the service. But can I encourage you to be sober-minded, to be free from all excesses, to be self-controlled and balanced, just like Paul tells us to be here, uh, because that is the character of a mature Christian. All right, the list carries on. We're going to be, uh, it tells us to be hospitable to each other. Uh, and for us to be hospitable to, to strangers, the, the word there is particularly uh, diving into being uh, hospitable to, to strangers. Just demonstrating love practically. That's a, obviously, that's a, a character trait that, that all of us, as, mature, as, we, as we mature in our Christianity, we should be demonstrating Able to teach. I'll just take a second here on the able to teach here. It's probably the only real skill that's listed in this list. Um, and in fact, if we were to look at the, the next list, we're not going to really look at that today in terms of, the, in terms of deacons, uh, the character qualities for, uh, for deacons. It's really the only major difference between those two lists. But, but the, the elder is asked to be able to teach because we are a family that is built on Scripture. And the Scripture has to be passed on. Note that it doesn't mean that the elders all have to have the gift of teaching. And in fact, I think 1 Timothy 5.17 makes that clear, that not all the elders will have the gift of teaching. But, but the elder needs to be able to open up his Bible and, and just open up the Bible and, and defend the, the faith and, and tell someone about the faith and be able to be clear about that and have a knowledge of the Scripture, have a readiness to teach, have the capability to communicate the, the faith to someone. 
And again, that's something that all of us should be aspiring to do. As we grow in our, our faith and as we grow in our maturity as Christians, we should be looking, we should all be looking to be able to give a defense for the faith that we have. All right, so the next few that are going to uh, uh, that carry on on this list, uh, they, they are not, a, not being a drunkard. I hope, I hope that's reasonably straightforward in terms of what, it, uh, what the, the text is meaning there. Not being a drunkard, not being violent, but being gentle or not being quarrelsome. Uh, God hates division amongst his people. And an elder has to, has to model that of not being quarrelsome, but being gentle in his words and gentle with his fists even. Uh, certainly the text is, is suggesting the fists there as well. Not a lover of money. The love of money, of course, is the, or, is the root of all sorts of evil. Have a look at First Timothy 6 for that. The, the, the elder should be managing his household well, essentially keeping his kids in, in order. Um, and again, all these things that we, we as, as Christians together should be looking to do. And, and just a note to singles here. You may not have a, a household and, and, and kids to look after. You may not be able to be the husband of one wife or the wife of one husband uh, because you're single. Um, but the, these character qualities, they still, they still ring true for you in your, in your singleness. Uh, do you have eyes, even, even as singles, when you, when you think about potentially being married in the, in the future, are you thinking that I still even now want to have eyes for just one woman, so I'm going to guard my mind and guard my eyes even here today so that when I do st stand, sit, and lie with my wife or husband, that I'm not going to regret the things that I did or thought or, or looked at, etc. today. Yeah, we're going to carry on through the list. Not a lover of money. Managing the household well. Not a recent convert. This is probably the one part of the list that you don't have a whole lot of, <laughs> whole lot of control about. But has, that has the idea of all of us should be maturing in our faith. We shouldn't be standing still. Someone could have been a Christian for 20 years and still be realistically a baby in the faith. Realistically still be a recent convert. And that's not what, the, what, what uh, Romans 12 verse 2 tells us. We need to be transformed. We need to be continually uh, um, modified and, and continually being propelled towards Christ-likeness. And well thought of, then the last point there, well thought of by outsiders. This is so, so important in a world like, like we have today where the world can see us from all sorts of different angles. We need to be well thought of by outsiders. They are going to know us by our fruits. First Thessalonians 4 tells us that all Christians should have a good reputation outside in the community. And we need to really think about this as we engage in the public square, as you're, as you're doing your business dealings day by day. Ask the question, what would my neighbors say about me? What would those that I engage in business say about me? What would my, my workmates say about me? All right, and as we, uh, as we head towards the, 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 the end here, and as, uh, and as my clock here tells me that I really need to be finishing up real soon. Eldership, then. Eldership points us to Jesus. Eldership points us to Jesus. This, the, the idea of, of eldership must continually, and the church should, must continually remind us of Jesus and be pointing us to Jesus. Because Jesus is the head of the church. There is no other head of the church. The elders are not the head of the church. Jesus is. Elders are under shepherds. And note that word shepherds. They are shepherds. They, they, are, they are looking after the family of God. They are looking after the flock. They point us, or point the flock, 
They point us all towards the bread of life. They point us all towards the water that will quench our thirst forever. They point us towards the, the good shepherd. They are shepherds. Our elders are shepherds, but they point us towards the good shepherd or the chief shepherd. And they safeguard us. They safeguard us. They help us. There are so many things that are going to creep into the church that are, that are going to creep into our lives that are going to start to rob us and take us away from our devotion to Jesus and take us away from our eyes being on Jesus. They are to safeguard us as, as, a, as a church. They are to defend the church from unsound doctrine. We talked a fair bit about that when we looked at the book of Jude at the end of last week. They keep us purely walking towards Jesus. And so as we finish up thinking about eldership what's our response then what is our response our response should be to praise god for his great plan for the church he had it right he had it right from the beginning the angels were wondering i, th I think the angels were wondering what was going on there but god had his plan right our response should be also to look at these qualifications and, and see of see them as an incredible gift from god for us individually for us to be looking at our eldership and holding elders to a high standard, but for us to see them as gifts for us individually, for us to grow in our Christ-like character. How are we to respond then? Well, Hebrews 13 verse 17 says that we are to obey our leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they are keeping watch over your souls. Note that, that idea that they are keeping watch over our souls. They are not keeping watch over the little, um, the, the, every little part of our life. We're not, uh, this is spiritual leadership. It's not uh, micromanagement or anything like that. Uh, the elders uh, are here to keep watch over your souls in terms so so would you submit to your leaders in terms of um, in terms of them keeping a watch over your souls and helping us keep our eyes on Jesus in every sphere of the church in every sphere of the church there's a temptation to kind of try and do it our own way and leadership there's, it's tempting to to turn to a CEO type model because that looks like it works well out in the out in the world and we, and we think we might want to try and get this place running like an enterprise. But the church is a group of people. The church is a group of people. And God knew that people needed shepherding. And so it's God's plan for elders. So would you honor God? Would you honor God by praying for your elders? Would you honor God by expecting a really, really high standard from your elders? A high standard of godliness. Would you honor God by submitting to their leadership in, their ch in the church would you pray for our elders that they would lead us all into a greater faithfulness as a church as we as a church desire to proclaim God's word to each other and proclaim God's word to the lost world around us let's pray as we finish up father thank you for this time that we've been able to spend as we've been able to spend looking through these qualifications uh, of the elder and as it has hopefully propelled us all to, to desire to just be more Christ-like. Lord, I pray for those that are amongst us who have perhaps just been sitting back in comfortable Christianity, that have been sitting back and, and not maturing in their faith. Lord, I pray that, that as we look towards our eldership and see examples of, of men of faith that that we would, be, uh, we would see Christ in them and desire us to, to be more like Christ ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would just grow us all, just mature us all, and that we might become 
uh, who the church that you want us to be and we might become just more and more glorifying to you our father so we thank you for this time and we pray that you'll just bless the rest of the time that we have here together as well and it's in jesus name we pray amen